Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's up, fellas? Welcome back to Combos Over Cold Brew with me, your host, Emma Abrahamson. Today, we're talking to Dylan Sorensen, who is the assistant coach at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He was a student athlete and All-American at Georgetown University and then trained in the college recruitment program, so the triathlon program that post-collegiates do in an attempt to qualify for the Olympics. After a few years, he began working as an assistant coach at Stanford University, and now he has moved to be an assistant coach at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. This episode is really thorough, and it provides kind of a detailed description on how Dylan went from athlete to triathlete to coach and his process and what it takes to build a top division one program. And let's get straight into the episode. All right, Dylan, welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you on. Um, to start off, can we just get a little bit of a rundown of who you are and what you're about? Absolutely. First of all, Emma, thank you very much for having me on. I'm honored to be on this this podcast, Convos Over Cold Brew. I actually have a, I, I went to the store and got some cold brew. I made some cold brew last night. I have it in a, a glass ball jar uh, with some ice in my hand right now. That's um, what I like to hear. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I tried to become prepared. Um, yeah, my name is Dylan Sorensen, and I right now coach at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and I coach our women's middle distance and distance athletes. Um, I also helped coach Chris Miltenberg, uh, coach the men's middle distance and distance athletes, and then I am... Uh, in charge of all of our recruiting for the distance runners that are obviously prospective student athletes in high school. Um, and well, somebody whom you know really well, Samantha Nadell, Coach Nadell, as we affectionately call her, she is, uh, I work alongside her and she does a great job of, of helping me with coaching the women. She is the best young coach in the country. There's no doubt about that. Um, and she's also a phenomenal recruiter. So it's been awesome. She was my college teammate, and then I think she was your college teammate. So that's where I am right now. Uh, and to give you some more context about where I'm from and how I got to where I am today, I grew up in Zionsville, Indiana, a small suburban town right outside of Indianapolis on the Northwest side. I grew up playing a multitude of different sports. Um, my favorite was basketball, and over time I ended up um, obviously getting excited about running through cross country and, and track. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to have an incredible opportunity to, to really choose where I wanted to go to school. I formed uh, an extremely meaningful relationship with the coaches at Georgetown University, which is in Washington, D.C. 
Pat Kenner was was my college coach, but also actually Chris Miltenberg was was one of his assistant coaches at the time when I was getting recruited, and then when I was also in school. Um, and he's obviously my boss now. But uh, I and Brandon Bonzi was also one of our assistant coaches, and he's he's the head men's cross country coach there right now. So. Uh, I went to school there. I was in the business school, studied international business and finance. I minored in Italian. There's fun facts for you. Um, but I, I also did a master's program in sports industry management, and they did a great job taking care of me, challenging me, and uh, allowing me the time I needed to uh, grow into the the initial culture shock I had of of being transplanted from. A farm town in Indiana to <laughs> to Washington D.C. an extremely urban progressive area, um, and unfortunately, I was able to become a, an All American a couple times and a conference champion in the steeple chase and be able to provide some meaningful impact to my team um, while I was in college in cross country, indoor track, and outdoor track and field, and accomplish some 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 goals that I had long since set out for myself. Um, and then after that, I. Um, I think um, I, I did pro triathlon professionally. I was part of the USA Triathlon Collegiate Recruitment Program, which I think your sister was for a period of time. If she's not, yeah, still, she was <laughs> actually. And so we might have been coached by the same person. Um, and a common theme that you'll probably hear me say is that I, I have had a tremendous opportunity to work with some amazing coaches throughout my life, like my high, from my high school coach, even my coaches in youth and middle school. <laughs> um, my high school cross country coach was Gabe Porras. He did an amazing job. And even my, my high school basketball coach, Sean Busick, was, was an incredible mentor for me. But Jared Evans was my triathlon coach. Uh, he was kind of the head coach. And then Bobby McGee, who was the, the head Olympic coach for the Rio Olympics for triathlon, um, he was the head men's coach. And Jared, my coach, was the head women's coach. Uh, and they obviously got a, a gold medal out of that from Glenn Jorgensen. <laughs> um, and they were great role models for me and, and allowed me to, I mean, goodness, I, it was a, it was a heck of a few years. I, I lived, trained and raced all over the world. I think I went to 20 some odd different countries to race and, and live and train and um, spent the winters in Australia, the summers in Europe and, and the falls and the spring in San Diego, where, where you hail from. And then also Scottsdale, Arizona. So it was a it was a fun time. It was a hard time, very challenging, um, but it also allowed me to be the person that I am today, um, among some other factors. But um, how many years were you in the program? Yeah, I was in it for three years, and actually, I was planning to be in it for six years when they recruited me. Barb Lindquist, um, she's uh, I she's I, I consider her a, a, a third mother. I have a, a mom and a, and a stepmom, so she couldn't be my second. But um, she recruited me from the program. She was an Olympian in 2004. She's an amazing woman, uh, amazing human being. And she, her goal for recruiting people in that program is to identify the athletes that most commonly were runners in college who they felt had the body type and athletic ability to be able to potentially uh, medal at the Olympic Games in, in the future. And so I'm really big for a runner. Um, my teammates actually used to joke around that, that I was the, the fattest person on the team, which is completely ridiculous. And I, I, I think that's actually a very bad thing to do um, because it can get in people's heads and um, disordered eating. And, and that is a, a big part of, of not just women's sports, but men's as well, um, certainly in running. And 
that being said, I'm you know still I'm still very big for the average distance runner. I'm six two, one hundred and seventy five pounds, uh, and uh, she she identified that. And I have huge hands, and I wear half size thirteen feet, and <laughs> and long arms and flexible shoulders. She was like, "You are going to be so good at swimming. Like you can do this. You can you can be great. You can go to the." Olympics in Tokyo in 2020. There's no doubt in my mind. If you if you just give yourself the next five years to to prepare yourself for that, um, and Man, that's she, a confidence boost. She obviously got me fired up. Yeah, um, and then I uh, I went full 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 send, as the kids say. I went all the way into that, and and I embraced the world and learned the two different sports, their their cultures, swimming and, and cycling, and grew to love them. Um, and I kind of became that. Uh, and I wasn't really in the running world for a couple of years um, at all. Honestly, I didn't even know what was going on, <laughs> um, which is really healthy for me looking back, because that's really all I ever knew for the, for the last several years. It's, it was my whole world. And it was good for me to see that there's a lot of other stuff going on outside of it. Um, Definitely. But yeah, while I was doing that, I kept getting better and better and better. And I was starting to become somewhat prominent on the world scene. I actually raced in my, my first world triathlon series race at the end of the 2016 season, a month after the Olympic Games, with virtually the same field that were was featured at the Olympic Games, plus Dylan. Um, <laughs> and, and I got my butt kicked, but it was it was uh, a huge opportunity to even be at that competition, and it marked the start of being able to to be there um, and be with those guys and, and be at that level. And shortly thereafter, Chris Miltonberg, who is now my boss, started recruiting me to be his assistant coach at Stanford <laughs> University, where we were previously. And so I spent about six months debating <laughs> if I was ready to give up what I had planned on doing through now, frankly, 2020, um, and a, a potential, uh, obviously there's no assurance you'll ever be on an Olympic team, but with the progression that I was making, it, it was not out of the realm of possibility that it would have been realistic for me to actually be competing for a spot on the team and, and actually doing something when I if I made the team. And so I had to weigh that with... Um, I knew I wanted to coach and through high school, college, and even doing triathlon professionally, the CRP, the Collegiate Recruitment Program, which was at the time USA Triathlon's Olympic Development Program. It's a slightly different structure now. Um, we had three men and three women. Uh, and so it was really small. We, we worked together. We slept in the same house. We traveled the world together. We raced together. We ate together. We spent way too much time together. <laughs> um, but but we were also teammates, uh, even though we were competing against one another for racing a spot at, at the World Championships every year or the Olympic Games. Um, it was a special time. And what I realized over time is I, I could not stop asking my coaches questions about how I could help the people around me. Because what I have realized over time is the way that I learned how to help my teammates ultimately gave me the biggest positive impact too. And it didn't only just make me help them, but it made me be excited about what I was doing and what I was a part of that. It was something bigger than myself. So um, I knew I wanted to get into coaching uh, and I knew that it's a really hard world to get into. Um, and when, when coach Milt, as he's affectionately referred, uh, called me and started talking to me about it, um, certainly my interest was already peaked, but he's somebody I've, 
It's actually his birthday today as we're recording this, August 26th. Happy birthday, birthday Coach Milt. <laughs> <laughs> he, he got me excited about it, and um, he's, he's somebody that I have looked up to ever since I met him uh, through the recruiting process. I actually met him in your hometown of San Diego when I was at the Foot Locker Cross Country Championships as a senior in high school. He was the one that, that came from Georgetown, uh, and, and I met him that day, and he, I, I was able to admire him and communicate with him his, the, my first three years of college while well, he was the head women's cross-country coach, and obviously that, that ended with them winning a national championship there. He's a tremendous motivator. Uh, he fiercely believes in everything that he says, and he lives his life in accordance with that, and um, he lives a life of intent, which is something that I've always aspired to do myself. So um, it, it didn't hurt that one of my greatest role models in life uh, and actually somebody who had run for my college coach, he ran at Georgetown as well, 10 years before me and was coached by Pat Henner as well, um, was, was asking me to do this and was excited about it. And so I spent several months debating on whether I would be okay to to let go of this athletic identity that I had in myself in an effort to help others. And ultimately I, I decided that I was, I was good to do that. I was excited to not have to plan my meals around my workouts anymore. And, oh my gosh. That's like exactly move. what my sister would say. Would say. <laughs> and, and yeah. And, and then we were also not moving um, uh, every two to three months. If I was going to be a coach, like I was liver, I was literally moving countries and my whole community would be disrupted every two months. I, I go from, you live at the Olympic Training Center. Now, I guess it's called the, what is it? The Elite Athlete Training Center in Chula Vista. You'd be there for two, three months. And you form a community and friends. And you'd be living out of a suitcase. But it was great. Um, and you'd move to Spain. And you didn't know anybody. And you'd slowly meet people. And I'm relatively outgoing, I would say. <laughs> um, and and you'd meet new people. And then you'd leave. Uh, and so it was... As, as, as glamorous in some ways as that life was, and certainly from a training perspective, we didn't get bored of the trails we ran on or the pools we went to swim at uh, or the food we ate because it was always different. Uh, and that was shifting and that was good. But there were other parts that I was, I was okay to let go of. And uh, ultimately, I ended up going there to moving to Palo Alto, California. Um, and actually, the, the previous six months, I had been living in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, still competing. And I was training with um, Swim Mac, which was Ryan Lochte's swim club uh, in, in Charlotte. <laughs> and I was a, a volunteer assistant coach with the Queens University Triathlon team, which is one of the only fully funded triathlon programs in the NCAA. So I got uh, to have some fun helping them out a little bit. And they certainly helped me a lot with with coaching or training or whatever you want to say. Um, and then I was able to work as well with, uh, I mentioned earlier, I think that I got a master's degree in sports industry management. Um, one of the athletic opportunities I had was competing in what's called the major league triathlon, which is a professional American based triathlon league that is aimed at giving U.S. athletes, professional triathletes, uh, another opportunity, more opportunities to compete in a spectator-friendly format. It's a mixed-gender relay that is um, really short and dynamic in nature so that somebody can watch the entire triathlon event unfold right in from one spot. The swim, the bike, and the run, they're all circuit-based components, and none, none of them take longer than a 
like probably two to five minutes each. Um, so oh my gosh, that's definitely men, a lot more spectator two friendly. Women, yeah, comprise a team. And uh, he had asked me, Daniel Cassidy is the CEO of that company. It's his name. And he had asked me to help out with, with their events. I had told him some of my background and that I was excited to help out in any way. And um, I was able to create a great training situation for myself with the Queens University Triathlon team and the Charlotte running cycling and swimming communities um, and then help Major League Triathlon in our pursuit of formulating the best league we could. And I was the athlete liaison. So I was in charge of setting up all the races, um, communicating with the cities and their their, their sports bureaus. And um, But on top of that, I was also our marketing manager and our goal was to put this event into the Olympic Games as a medal event in 2020. Um, and the IOC, the International Olympic Committee actually reached a decision to add that into the Olympic Games in 2020, um, in the in June of 2017. And so that was really exciting for us. Um, so now there's, there's not just one medal event in next year's Tokyo Olympics, knock on wood that they do happen. I, I really hope they do. Um, but it is kind of funny that I stopped doing this three years ago. Uh, regardless, but yeah, there's going to be two medal events in triathlon. One wow. is the Olympic distance triathlon, which is a 1500 meter swim, a 40 kilometer bike, which is 24.8 miles for, for all of us Americans. And then a, a 10 K run, which is obviously 6.2 miles. Um, in addition to that, there's going to be the mixed team relay, which is what they're calling it, which is effectively a 250 meter swim, a uh, five kilometer bike, and then a 1500 meter run. Uh, two men and two women comprise each country's team and they race one after the other um, in an effort to cross the finish line first. And so a country wins the medal, not just the an, an athlete. So that's been really exciting and obviously doubled the number of medals that can be earned in the sport of triathlon, which is just allowing for more opportunity and it'll also be a little bit more fun to watch. So I'm so that was excited great. to watch that. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's good. It, it's a fun event. And I had a blast working with Daniel Cassidy. And it was actually pretty sad um, as I I kept him in the loop on on Chris Miltenberg recruiting me to work for him. And he knew that that was a, a potential outcome. And he obviously wanted to support me and everything that I wanted to do as well. And um, we still keep in touch, but he's uh yeah, so that was in June of 2017. I raced my last professional triathlon in July of 2017, which was the New York City Triathlon. First time I ever ran through Central Park, which is pretty freaking cool. It's a special place. Uh, and then I flew from there actually to interview at Stanford University for, <laughs> for the job of being the assistant coach, which uh, was honestly more of a formality than, than a real interview. But it was uh, great to meet the staff and um, Jess Ryden, Michael Eskind, uh, and Chris Miltenberg, obviously, but um, they are are still on the staff with us with us here at, at, at Carolina. So it's been a fun ride. We were at Stanford. I was there for two years. Uh, Chris Miltenberg was there for seven, and um, we had a, a heck of a lot of fun with with recruiting and formed incredibly meaningful relationships with people in the community. Um, there's a there's a lot going on in the Bay Area. The mountains are right there. Several big cities are right there. Um, it's a very young area, and Silicon Valley is is a special place in and of itself. But we um, were fortunate enough to be able to have a lot of fun successes with uh, great athletes and, and really great people that we were able to coach. And we 
we won the the men's and the women's program of the year award, which the NCAA gives out to the best overall cross country indoor track and outdoor track and field team at the conclusion of each year. So that happened in the last couple of years for us. And, and we, we were oh, two points out of winning the women's NCAA outdoor track and field team title in, in, at your alma mater, the University of Oregon in 2018, the spring. That was a, a tough pill to swallow, but it was still a great day for us. And USC did a tremendous job of dramatically winning the team title with the four by four and Kendall Ellis having a monumental effort there. So that was, that was amazing. Um, and, and then, yeah, we, we made the transition here to, to Chapel Hill just over a year ago. Um, and would obviously be happy to talk more about that, but that's how I got here. You asked me for a background. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it seems like you had a pretty great buildup from a very stellar athlete to triathlete to coach. I mean, I feel like that's kind of how things go usually being an athlete themselves um, and a transition into coaching. But it seems like you had some good qualities of being a coach and you kind of noticed that. Did you notice it in college too, or did you kind of notice that um, only in your triathlon training? Yeah, I definitely noticed it in college. I mean, to be honest, and I wouldn't say I noticed that I had good coaching qualities. I think other people like my coaches noticed <laughs> that I had good coaching qualities. Um, even in high school, I loved helping out the other like younger people on our team um because i always when i was young on our high school team i and, and really on my basketball team there was a culture of the older people letting the younger people take the same licks so to speak the same knocks as they they had at their age and, and they didn't help them out and i always was confused as to why that was the case but if why wouldn't we want this to keep getting better every year if, if we could why wouldn't you want to help somebody younger than you? And so as I became older and there became people that were younger than me, um, I, I thought that it would be great to do that. Um, and there were significant values added to our teams, I think, because that became infectious. Actually, my senior year of cross country in high school this is a great story, I think, to, to sum up the point. There was one of my best friends, his name's Corey Kirkham. He, uh, <laughs> he, him and I were the only two seniors on our cross country team. I think we had like 40 people on the team and there were two seniors and we were talking before the season started and we're like, you know, everybody that's been older than us, while we love them, they had never really treated them, those younger than them that well. <laughs> what do you say we do something different and it's going to be weird, but what if we just literally act like they are our age and we treat them like they're on the same plane as us. And we were like, yeah, that's a pretty, that sounds good. Like, let's, let's give it a shot. And we did that. And to be honest, Emma, it was the most fun few months I ever had on any <laughs> team up to that point in my life. And I was like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Like we were cohesive. We trusted each other because really we were vulnerable with one another. Um, and I don't think you can have that without that vulnerability, but that's the hardest thing to create in, in a, a, a relationship as Brené Brown has been famous for, for talking about, and she's done a great job of communicating that to the world. But um, yeah, when I was in college, actually, Pat Henner, Coach Henner, he, he pulled me aside my junior year of college. I was, I was actually hurt a lot the first, my, geez, my, my whole time in college, and, and, and it was my fault. <laughs> I, I wanted it too bad, and I, I would not get out of my own way, and um, I certainly now, as a 30-year-old, I can look back and be proud of several accomplishments on paper that I had, but honestly, I messed up a lot 
and, and it was hard. Um, and, uh, one, one of those many times I was hurt and, and off my coach would let me come to practice and just like follow him around. And he would call me, uh, like he would call me his assistant coach for the day or whatever. And we would be at workouts and he would ask me what I thought of things. And, and he just noticed, I think that I was picking up on some things that he wasn't outwardly saying, um, but he, he pulled me aside actually at, after I was healthy again, after one of these blocks of me assisting him and just enjoying assisting him. And he, he asked me if I'd be interested in coaching. And, you know, I, I went to Georgetown, which is a, a top 25 university annually in the rankings. And I went to Georgetown with the intention of going to law school or going into investment banking after I was finished with school. Um, and that's what I wanted to do before ultimately becoming an executive in a, a national governing body like USATF or USA Triathlon um, or an international governing body like the International Olympic Committee or even the New York Roadrunners, the company that puts on the New York City Marathon. Um, so I had this, as many people do, this 40 year plan. Right. And I, I was like, when he asked me, plan. <laughs> I mean, not literally, but in my head, I was like, OK, this is what I, I think I want to do. And and I need to if I go to Georgetown, I have to. I'm going to be able to be an investment banker. I'm going to be able to go to law school. Why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. Um, and and I think that's an easy mindset to fall into because honestly, the rat race that is everything going on around you, the stress that the other people have to do exactly that, it wears off on people. Um, and so that being said, when my coach asked me if I if I would want to be a coach ever, <laughs> he, I was like, honestly, I think I would love it. Uh, but I don't think so, coach. And he was like, what? Why? He was like, I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, you know, I agree with you. Actually, I think I'd be good at it too. And I think it would be super fun. But I just know how hard you work. And I know how much you work. And honestly, I I want to be able to have a family and want to have a balanced lifestyle. And I, your job is not, you don't clock in and clock out. Like you're always on. If one of us needs you, and this is why... He's such a good coach. And he coaches at the University of Southern California now. He won the national championship two years ago when we lost. Um, congrats to him. Um, I, I love I love the man dearly. We keep in touch. I even texted him earlier today. Um, but he he had I said, I see how much you work, how much you travel for meets on the weekends, all this. Like, I just don't know if I could do that well and have a family well. Cause I, honestly, this is a little bit personal information, but I'll, I'll share it. I had a pretty challenging upbringing. Uh, I love both of my parents very much, but my parents collectively have been married seven times. And my parents were divorced when I was two. Um, I have nine siblings and my older sister and I are the oldest two. We share the same parents, but we really helped uh, raise our, our siblings a lot. And I saw a lot of what I didn't necessarily want to have my life become. Um, and I knew that that the traveling piece and working a ton was going to be something that would take away from me being able to be a good husband and, and a good dad. And I, I it's funny, I, I'm single right now, <laughs> but I want that someday and I, I want to have a family and I, I want to have the same family 30 years later. Um, so it's a kind of a, a deep seated thing. But um, and he so so I, I answered the question in that way. And then he said, well, well, Dylan, let me ask you this. If you really, if you really do want to be a lawyer or whatever job you have, like you're a pretty competitive guy. I, I, you're probably the most competitive guy we have on the team. Like you can't, 
go to the training room and when you guys are tossing a tennis ball and trying to hit a spot on the wall, like you get pissed off if you lose at that. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, you're going to want to be good at whatever job you have, right? I was like, of, of course. And he's like, well, then you're going to, it's going to be a 24 hour job regardless. And that doesn't mean you can't have, can't be a great husband and you can't have kids. Like you can do that. You just have to find somebody who is excited that you're passionate about what you do, but you're going to be excited and passionate about what you do, whatever it is, just because you're so competitive that you're going to need to be, <laughs> you're not going to be able to get out of your own way. And I was like, at the time I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't agree with you. Uh, no way. But looking back, he was so, so, so right. And, and obviously, like, he's a lot more wise than I am. So, um, yeah, that was my junior year in college. And I I slowly realized over time, kind of after he would put that into my ear, you know, what what or what he thought I could be really good at of, of me actually coming to terms with the realization that, man, I do really want to do this. Like, I want to do this with my life. Uh, and, and coaching at its deepest level, fundamentally, you're educating people uh, who are passionate about about something, right? Like we in track and field or cross country, whatever you want to call it, any sport, there is a collective goal, and the athlete's goal becomes the coach's goal too. It's it's mutual, and that's a that's a special relationship to have to put a, a lot of vulnerability and courage in to be able to express what those goals are, and then to come up with a plan to get there. And, and, and it's going to be hard along the way, but that's something that I was extremely passionate about. And I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to have other people who believed in me along the way to teach me how to do that really well and, and be empathetic with me and all the things that I struggled with so that I can, I can do that now really well. And that's, that's why I love, I don't really even view my job as a job. Like this morning, I was, I, we, we are back in practice now and we certainly have a different practice looks, it feels a lot different, um, than it typically does. But, uh, we, we drove our, our freshman men and women, one of whom's birthdays is today. I think she listens to your podcast actually. Her name is Sasha Negley. She's from Kingsport. Happy Canada. birthday, Sasha. Happy Thanks birthday, for listening Sasha. to the pod. <laughs> um, we, we went for a run in this beautiful forest that the university of North Carolina owns. It's right off campus. Um, and I was running and I was like, you know what? I'm getting paid for this right now. Like, this is the best job in the world. So, so it's, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I think it took a lot of other people telling me that and, you know, giving me confidence in myself of, Hey, like, I think you would be really good at this. <laughs> and then yeah. after that, giving me the platform to be able to do it, uh, in the space and, and Liberty to be able to do it in a way where I could be myself and I didn't have to necessarily conform to what somebody else wanted me to be or do. And, and that's really the hardest thing in life is coming to terms and being okay with who you are and then owning that and, and diving into it a hundred percent. And, and that's what has been great um, with, I mean, coach Mill wants to take care of me. Like he, he, he was taken care of by Pat Henner when, when he was working for Pat and that's special. That's, that's really cool. He's like a, a best friend, a father, a mentor. Uh, <laughs> he's my boss. He, he's he's all of that to me, um, and and I I'm really appreciative for that. And then obviously all the all the other people with whom we get to work. Yeah, for someone that's like looking to get into coaching, how would you recommend they start? Because it seems like, I mean, you just had the opportunity kind of given to you, and I know it's a lot about like 
who you know in in the scene and a lot of like jobs aren't even posted first like mm-hmm. they kind of I don't know it's communication behind the scenes so how would you recommend someone who maybe doesn't have like the connection that you did to get started into coaching well I think the the most important part of this whole thing goes back to how you're living your life each day because the only reason coach Milk thought of me is because he had experienced me for several years of what my body language was like when I was 18 and 19 and 20, what, how I communicated and, and how I respected or didn't respect certain people that were my teammates or my coaches and how I could build relationships. And, and he also asked Pat Henner, he was like, Hey, if, if you could have anybody in the country as your assistant, who would it be? And, and Pat said me. And like, the only reason that happened, it's not because I was like, you know, a, a, a prodigy coach. It's because Pat had several years, eight years, I guess, at that time of experience, knowing me of who I was as a person and to, and like, thank goodness, I, we were in, are in really good standing and I have a great relationship with those people. But the point is this, I think, and this applies for, for much beyond coaching, it pays in life to, to be a good person. And to, to live the right way. And when I say the right way, talking about core values, like having integrity um, and respect for, for one another and trust uh, and vulnerability, because that's why I was in a position to be like, as you said, given the job. It wasn't like it dropped out of air. There was a bank of experience with me from these other people, which, which they had a lot of data to be like, we feel good about this and this is why. Um, but on top of, so I think to your point, I think a lot of the people that listen to your podcast are the same age I was when I first met coach Mill, which I was like 17 or 18 or whatever. And, and so along those lines, like, Hey, be the person that you wish or that you want other people to be. Like, if you think of, of, of a friend that you have that you really respect and trust, like, Try to be that or try to be as good as you as you think they should be. Um, I think that's a good rule of thumb just to live by because it will pay you back <laughs> in, the, in the future. I promise you that in some form or fashion. That, that said, if you are somebody actively looking to get into coaching right now, reach out to people. Every single athletic department has a website that lists their coaches and it not just their names, but their contact information. I think even my phone number is on our website. Actually, I hope it's not. But um, <laughs> I know for a fact my email is on my our website, the, the goheels.com website. And so, and, and that is true for all of our coaches. It's also true for every athletic department in the country. So if somebody's looking to specifically get into college coaching, reach out to coaches that already exist because I know, I, I think I speak for a lot of coaches when I say this, I reply to every single email that I get. Um, whether I'm telling a prospective student athlete that they don't meet our standards or that I'm excited about them or somebody reaches out with a question, I'm always going to respond. And so I look at my email and it's, it's not a fake email address. Like I, I actively utilize it and I spend time on it every single day. Um, so reach out. And I would say when in doubt, reach out more. Uh, if you want, really want to get into coaching and that's all you want to do, send an email to every single coach in the country. Coach Milt did that when he was trying to get into coaching. He, yeah, yeah. Uh, and after he gra- graduated from Georgetown, after his fifth year finished, he actually, Emma, moved to San Diego and, and ran at, um, oh goodness, uh, 
what's the golf course in, in near Encinitas, just east of Encinitas that has the wood chip path around it? Oh, Rancho Santa Fe. Rancho Santa Fe. He, him and Mike Smith, they were college roommates. They, they, they tried to live the dream together to chase being a pro runner. And Coach Milt made it about six months. They ran every day at Rancho Santa Fe. It's an interesting um, but, place to run. Wouldn't say like the best place to try to be a personal well, runner, but I think it was. was. I think it was a little bit uh, nicer back then. Um, this is uh, this yeah. is this is eighteen years ago now. So <laughs> yeah, um, I can't I can't speak on experience from that time period. So. Yeah, I, the wood chips are thick though, um, for sure yeah. right now. So, but anyways, the um, he literally spent months just emailing and calling and writing letters to every coach in the country until he kept pestering people so much that somebody gave him an opportunity. Um, and, and look at him now. Uh, he's been coaching for 17 years, I think now, and he is one of the most highly respected coaches in the country, um, directors in the country. He's been successful every place he's been, which is Columbia, Stanford, Georgetown, and now Carolina. Um, and, he did that because he just actively pursued it uh, until he got in. Um, and then once he got in, he was, he worked his butt off and, and he has never stopped doing that. So um, I hope that provides some good, a couple different good examples of how people could potentially get into the profession. Yeah. It's a lot of um, hustling, working behind the scenes and, and uh, networking. So that, yeah, that is very good advice. Um, you just summed so, up everything I said in three words. You're, exactly. You're <laughs> Concise, you know, just summing it all up. To kind of, to conclude the podcast, I asked on the Instagram, the Convos Over Cold Brew Pod Instagram, some like listener questions. And I think it would be really helpful to hear from a coach at like a top Division One university kind of answers to these questions that people had. Because I know there's a lot of like ambiguity in mm -hmm. recruiting a lot of the time so um yeah there's just a couple questions like really quick so the first question that was asked a lot was how fast do i have to be to run division one great question um the short answer is that it depends on the school uh depends what the model of the program is and also um not all division one institutions are equal in that either um so uh, i would uh urge or encourage people to, just like I, I mentioned earlier, for people wanting to get into coaching, to send emails to all the coaches, prospective student athletes, do the same. Um, if you email me and ask for our walk-on standards, I email you back, if I'm allowed to, obviously, <laughs> if you're old enough. So yeah. I think that's the, the quickest answer to your question. Um, but I, yeah, and, and I think that's probably the best way to answer it. Yeah, there's such a wide range of Division One programs that it's hard to like give you a direct answer of, of time, because yeah. um, not every school has like specific standards that they have. So, yeah, emailing the coach that, is really helpful. There's there's a lot of I mean a lot of people are afraid to email a coach, um, not necessarily because they might not hear back, but that because they maybe will hear that they're not good enough. Um, but I'd say it's much better to ask. And, and receive the narrative of, or the answer to your question from a person in that position than it is to just ask random people or DM somebody on Instagram that runs out of college. Because, like, to be honest, like, they don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so it's always better to ask the question than to build your own narrative. Great advice. Um, how do you choose who you want to recruit? And, 
Like, what are some things that you look for in recruiting runners? And is it more than just their times? It is way more than just their times, Emma. Um, we have a system in which we identify talent. Um, but when I say talent, I don't mean athletic talent. I mean talent as a human being uh, in terms of somebody's personality and, and how they're going to communicate with others, how they're going to communicate with us coaches and what their goals are. Um, because a, a sure way to uh, a poor relationship is one in which the goals are not the same between, <laughs> between the coach and the athlete. Um, uh, for instance, uh, one of the, th and, and I think simply put, transparency and consistency with what we do through recruiting is how we identify who we want. Um, with communication. Uh, and, and that specifically is, we want people who want to be on a great team. Um, we don't want people who want to be the queen bee or the best, the best person on the team from day one. Um, we want people who want to be challenged and we want people who are, are down to earth, uh, are willing to ask questions, are willing to be vulnerable with us. Cause if they can do that with us, I know they're going to be able to do that with their teammates. Um, and, and that's, I know a little bit vague, but that's that's uh, uh, that's what we really look for, and, and what sticks out to us as as this is a a, a personal relationship, um, a, a working relationship between coach and athlete, and, and then between teammates themselves. And so, part of our job, yeah, uh, do we recruit the athletes that have the fastest marks? Sure, that, that's a part of it. But most importantly, when we're communicating with people. We evaluate who they are as humans. Um, and that is what allows us over time as we build these relationships to identify who it is that we're most excited about and who we know will fit with what we do and, and do it the right way with us. What should incoming juniors do to be noticed or recruited, especially right now during this like crazy time where there's mm -hmm. no races really going on? What, what do you think that they should do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I actually, you know, I, field that question a lot when I'm speaking with, with, with those people. Um, I, I think the best thing to do is, is honestly like have a conversation with your high school coach um, and, and communicate clearly with them. If you're even asking that question, then you already know you want to run college <laughs> and you probably have a good reason behind that. Um, but have, try and get creative. Uh, have fun with with this time period. If your cross country season's been canceled, every minute that you spend feeling sorry for yourself and, and about that, feeling down about it, well, look, it it, it sucks and it is hard. Um, it, it it it's a minute that you waste when you could be doing something productive and formulating a, a fun plan to have intrinsic motivation as you go to train each day and have a goal, a destination, even if it's running from you know, the street corner to your mailbox as fast as you can. Um, but I think communicating with the, their high school coach and their parents of, hey, I want to run in college and this is what I want to do. How can how can I get there most effectively? That's the first place to start because that's who you know believes in you and wants to help you do that stuff and wants to help you do what you want to do. Secondly, as people who are rising juniors, you can reach out to us coaches now. Um, we can talk to you. So shoot us an email. Um, and we'll be happy to help with that too. I'd say the one thing topically that I know a lot of people are doing or, or stressing about with the lack of race opportunities that are out there are, are time trials. You see a lot of people doing time trials. And um, I, I think I speak for a lot of coaches when I say that 
we don't put a lot of stock into what you do in a time trial or needing to see a time trial because of this. Honestly, the best athletes that I have ever coached, that we have ever coached, would be terrible at time trials <laughs> because they're competitive. Right. Like they, they, they are racers, and they competing oh, yeah, yeah. against other people bring out the best in them. Uh, I do not think Grant Fisher would be good at a time trial. Uh, again, I'm saying this for the second time, but Grant, I'm sorry. Um, and and that's okay. Uh, and so look, like if you do a time trial and you run really fast, is it going to hurt you in any way? Absolutely not. Like that's going to be great. Um, and we're going to be excited for you. And that could be the creative destination that, that allows you to have the motivation you need to have. But it's not the end-all, be-all. So I would first start with asking your coaches and your parents, how can we formulate a plan for me to be able to get to the place I want at the next level, which is maybe running in college. Um, and once that is in place, then work together with them to evaluate, okay, I'm going to reach out to the, these college coaches and see what they would like me to do. And, and I can try to blend that with what I want to do. And, and then we can just keep moving forward. And that will allow for a clear plan. And that is what it, it, you will have the ability to have intentionality with what you do every day. And how you get good at this sport is week after week, month after month, year after year of intentionality with what we do. Yes. Um, what is your walk-on process like? Because I know a lot of people, maybe they're already like attending a school and they are thinking about joining the team, but then they're not sure what to do. What is your process like at UNC? Yeah, our process involves, um, firstly, communication with us before somebody gets to school. Um, so the earlier the relationship is started, the better. Um, but we have we have walk-on standards in terms of performances that have an asterisk next to them right now, obviously due to COVID, we're not going to take away an opportunity um, if it's the right fit, if somebody hasn't run a time since they haven't had the ability to run a certain time. Um, but really it just comes down to communication. Um, we obviously need to know that they want to walk onto the team. Uh, and that typically starts with an email. And then from there, um, myself or coach Nadell will respond to them and, We'll get to know them a bit um, and know what they have done, what they have not done, um, see where they fit, uh, obviously, academically, because when, when loosely when one is discussing walk-ons, they typically mean somebody who gets into school on their own, um, which we have, a, I think, a 4.3% out-of-state acceptance rate. I could be wrong with that, but it's, it's selective, to say the least. Um, and then, you know, we go, we just build a relationship and go from there. And if we believe that a, a trial period on the team is something that will be valuable, then we will go ahead and do that. Um, but we also keep our, our family here, our track and field and cross country family, um, really small and tight because we, we give a lot of time and attention to our, our people that we coach. And, and honestly, we make it pretty hard for them to get here because that's how we know they really want to be here. Um, and so, I would say to all, all people that are really wanting to walk on anywhere, not just here, you got to be persistent, just like Coach Mill was when he was trying to get into college coaching. You have to, you have to show and illustrate to the other people, the coaches, that you are dying to be there and that, want, that you want to be on the team. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. And I think a good example of persistence is, um, are you familiar with Mick Stanisvek? Oh, yeah, that's a great, a great example. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly the whole story, but he, like at Oregon, I'm not 
100% sure of what the walk-on process is, but I know like the sprint side has a tryout usually during the year. Um, Cross country and like the distance team is a little bit different. I think people just kind of come to practice and see like what it's like after talking to the coach. But I think, I don't, I'm not sure if Mick didn't make it the first year um, being part of the distance program at Oregon, but he just kept trying and he was like working out with Sheila Reed and you would see him at Hayward all the time. And he was in really good contact with Andy and he was just very persistent, kept training throughout the year. And the next year he was on the team, um, got a spot and then ended up being like all American breaking four. And now he's running at university of Washington. So it's really all about persistence and not giving up. I think a lot of the time, because people like Mick come out of it. So yeah. And Mick, uh, he's a, he's a tremendous story and obviously a fairy tale story. Um, and he, what is he a sixth, seventh year now? He might, I I don't even know anymore, (laughs) but I will say I, I have a lot of respect for him, his, his tenacity, his persistence. I think he's actually, he has taken his, do you think about this? He was shunned away to some extent by the coaching staff at first. He believed in himself enough to be willing to, to try, even though he might fail because he, he did fail initially. They didn't let him yeah. on the team, right? Yep. Um, he's in law school now at the University of Washington, I think. Um, and he's doing what he wants to do and he still gets to compete. Um, and he's, he's now, at, I'm just speaking statistically here, not, not out of my opinion, but he's, he, he ended up getting himself to a better school with the same coach on the team and being one of the best athletes in the country with maybe the best mustache in the country at times, I have to say. <laughs> Whoa. Because of his persistence. And, and that's, yeah. that is an amazing story. You're, you're, you're right on with that. Yeah, Mick is someone I've really always admired um, just because of that amazing story and his persistence. So if you want to like read more about Mick's story, I'm pretty sure there are articles that are written about him. So go, go check that out if you want to be inspired. Well, this is a great podcast. I think it was really helpful to a lot of like prospective student athletes or, you know, people that are looking to get into coaching. And I think it just says a lot about what it takes to be a top level NCAA coach and how you got your start and what the future at UNC is going to look like. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with us. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the opportunity and um I can say one last thing that's pertinent to our times. I would, I would love to. Do I have that, your, your permission? Yeah, of course. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, so actually, I, I shared this news with our, our team uh, a couple days ago. But on, on Monday of this week, August 24th, my, my grandmother passed away due to COVID. Um, and she was uh, a, a rock for our family. Um, and it's obviously really, really tough. Um, but... Something that we we promote to our teams. Um, there's there's a you know in, in life it, it can be very challenging. Not can it will be challenging. Uh, whoever you are, whatever your upbringing is, no matter how much or little privilege you you are exposed to, the world is a tough place. And the only thing every person will have is is suffering. It's a, a necessary part of life. As, as Viktor Frankl eloquently states in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, but the last of our human freedoms, as he says, is 
the ability to control our attitude and regardless of the circumstances with which we're presented. Um, and that book is actually um, a survivor of uh, seven years in, in, in concentration camps uh, across Germany during the Holocaust. Um, and uh, I think, you know, it, certainly the past several months have been really challenging for us all. And, and I know that, um, trust me, like coaches, athletes, we're all living it. Um, but I think the one thing we have power over is our mind, um, if we choose to, um, and all these things that can really, they could either overwhelm us or we can accept the reality of which they are and, and know that we can turn them into the best opportunity for us to, to become better at anything we want to do the rest of our lives. I think that applies to running. It applies to getting an education, being a good daughter, son, teammate, sister, brother, whatever. Um, and that's the last thing I'd say is just go take that. That's my one, my one nugget. Yeah, that's great. My college coach used to say, this is like a quote that she would always say, especially before races was the only thing that you can control is your attitude and your effort. Um, you can't control the things that are going on around you. You can't control what other people are doing. So I think that kind of resonates with, with what you've been saying. And during these crazy times, controlling your attitude and your effort makes a big difference. So that's a good takeaway. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Do you have any, do you have anything you want to shout out or anywhere people should follow you or UNC program? What do you want to shout out? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, first thing I want to shout out my my uh, favorite women in my life, which are my mom, my five sisters, as well as the uh, two women on our staff, Jess Ryden, who's the best associate director of track and field and cross country in the country, um, as well as Samantha Nadell, who is the best assistant coach in the country. Um, <laughs> and I also want to give a big shout out to Chris Miltenberg, Michael Eskind, Amin Nickfar, Adrian Wheatley, who are the other members of our coaching staff, and Mark Rinker and Jeff Gorski, two volunteers. Um, but on top of that, the women that I get to coach and that let me coach them and be crazy for them uh, and to believe in them, thank you. Uh, you make this all possible, and, and I love every single minute of it. Um, on top of that, the men that I get to coach too, uh, you guys are rock stars. You give me motivation every single day. Um, so, um, with that, um, I, uh, last piece I'll say, you may have seen, um, I, I, I broke a silly world record this spring, the basketball mile. Oh uh, yes. That was so impressive. Congratulations. Well, thank you for that. Um, I had no idea it was going to blow up as much as it did, but uh, <laughs> a couple months after I did that, which was on my 30th birthday, May 15th, great day, best day of the year. Uh, somebody broke the record and uh, really proud of that person that did that by a few seconds. Um, records are meant to be broken. I was, I was honored that somebody tried it, um, let alone beat me to it. Uh, however, I am, uh, this might be the, only, the, the first public announcement. I am going to try to re-break the record and I'm actually wow. going to try to raise money for a tremendous campaign that our university is um is, is doing right now called Forever Tar Heels. Um, it's uh, spelled like forever, but with H-E-R, the last three letters of forever. Um, it's a campaign geared towards raising money for opportunities in women's intercollegiate athletics. Um, actually, not, not only did I obviously have a, just this week, of my, my family was impacted significantly by, by COVID, and I have the utmost 
admiration for all of our healthcare workers in, in that entire industry for taking care of our country during this these crazy times, but also all crazy times. Uh, my mother is a nurse, <laughs> um, so I've heard many stories. Um, but also on top of that, there's there's been a lot of um, really tough, tough reckoning uh, from a, a racial injustice perspective that our country's been going through the last many months. Um, and, and on top of that, I think it, it, everything is tied into the mental health. Uh, somebody, not my grandma who just passed away, but somebody in my family actually uh, attempted to take their own life uh, this past spring. And I'm thankful that they, they were unsuccessful, but I have been deeply affected by that. And so um, this campaign, Forever Tar Heels, that I'm uh, making a, a significant effort in my own time to help raise money for, it directly invests in giving opportunities for women in our sport, just like the ones that I coach and in every sport, an opportunity to have an education, which fundamentally is what will help our country overcome all of these challenging scenarios with which we're currently faced. So um, it's called Forever Tar Heels. I'd love it if people could check it out. If they want to donate, awesome. If not, no worries at all. But the more, the more buzz that that gets, the better. I, I'm going to personally donate a significant amount of my own money uh, uh, tied to how much, if, if I do, and regardless, even if I don't, <laughs> breaking the world record by, and uh, my, our community is going to support the effort as well. So, so that's pretty big, but um, I want to mention that. And our, our track and field accounts are on Instagram and Twitter, our UNC TF, I believe, or UNC track. Um, and then I obviously have my own as uh, at... Dylan Sorensen, that's D-Y-L-A-N, um, and S-E-N, I'm the last three letters of my name. I'm on, I'm on Insta, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Snapchat for my younger siblings and TikTok, but I won't follow you on Snapchat or TikTok. Or, like, <laughs> my I just do that for my, my younger siblings. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat today. Um, can we get a good old peace out, fellas, to close out the pod? Peace out, fellas? <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you, fellas, so much for listening to today's episode of Convos Over Cold Brew. I hope you enjoyed it. I really liked hearing Dylan's life experience and kind of how he transitioned from athlete to coach. Just with my sister's experience in the college recruitment program, I understand how hard it is to kind of move beyond the dream of becoming a triathlete into the next career. I know Ellie had a hard time with that as well, just making that decision. So it was really interesting to hear from someone else and how he has succeeded in becoming a great NCAA Division I coach, which is not easy to do. So I hope you guys gained some good insight from this episode. Big supporter shout out to Jonathan S. in today's episode. I shout out one of my supporters in every single episode and it's really easy to support. It's through the Anchor platform and you can donate a 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99 a month. If you really like the podcast, it helps me out a lot if you do that. Just getting these episodes going and something else that really helps me out that's free is rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's super easy to do and I love to hear you guys' feedback. So if you guys love the podcast, taking the time to do that really helps me out. It's a free way to support. Thank you again for listening to today's episode and I will hear from you guys in the next one. Peace out, fellas. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.